0: This is God's holy and inerrant word. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help. Gracious Heavenly Father, we we come before you and we beg for your help. Um, We beg for your help because we know that we don't need to hear the voice of a man this morning. We need to hear the voice of of the living God. Um, We need you to pull back the veil so that we can behold you in your glory, um, understand your righteousness and your holiness and your mercy and your grace. Uh, Father, would you deal with each of us um, as we look at your Word this morning? And as you deal with each of us, we pray that you would remind us that we're really all the same despite what it may look like on the outside because deep down every single one of us uh, we're far more broken, far more sinful, far more twisted and corrupt than we could have ever imagined about ourselves. And so together we stand in need of the good news of Jesus uh, to be reminded that we can be at the same time far more broken than we could ever imagine, but because of what He has done for us, we can also at the same time be far more loved and far more accepted, far more secure, far more approved of than we could have ever dared to dream as possible. So Father, lift up Your face upon us this morning and show us Jesus, we pray, for it's in His name that we ask these things. Amen. So I want to start a little differently this morning, um, and he, here's what I want, I want to do. I, I want you just briefly for a moment to think with me um, about what it feels like to be homesick. Um, some of you felt that before, um, but I, I want you to just try to, for a moment, try to tap into and relate and uh, identify with that feeling of being homesick. Maybe you have to reach pretty far back into your childhood uh, to a memory, or maybe you've experienced it through your own kids and you've had to talk them through a season of homesickness. Um, One summer when I was in college, I worked at uh, this camp in Alabama called Alpine Camp for Boys in Mentone, Alabama. Some of you probably heard of it. Well, the campers at this particular camp, they would come and they would stay for four weeks out of time, and so a lot of those kids had to work through the feelings of being, being homesick at camp. Um, and if, if you can, if you're starting to identify and think about that feeling, you just you remember how incredibly miserable being homesick can make you. I mean, I think about the kids at that camp, right? They, I mean, tons of activities that they could enjoy all day long. Right? Um, they were surrounded by their friends. Um, their parents s- spent a small fortune to get them there. Right? Counselors were paid and on staff just to make sure these kids were having fun all the time. I mean, it, it should be a paradise. But if you're homesick, you can't enjoy any of it. Why is that? It's because your mind and your heart. And your affections are obsessed with one thing, and one thing only, home, right? And nothing else can satisfy you. Every little thing, good, bad, or indifferent, just reminds you that this isn't home, right? And the more you think about it, the more miserable you get. Now, if you can identify and relate uh, to that feeling, what I want you to do is I want you to carry that feeling with you into our discussion of Psalm 27, and here's why it's, it's obscured a little bit in the English. But in verse four of the Hebrew, the words for one thing is emphasized. It, it's put at the very beginning of the center uh, at the sentence. It's prominent. Once you re- so a better translation of that verse m- might go something like this: One thing, and one thing only. Am I seeking after? One thing and one thing only. Will ever satisfy me. See as best as I can. I want us to have a discussion this morning. About this one thing. That David writes about. And here's why. The one thing David sought. Is the one thing you and I are looking for in this life. Whether we know it or not. And until we get it. We can't and we won't be free. Until we get it, everything else in life will come up short of satisfying us. You can't and you will not be home in this life until you get this one thing. So let's structure our conversation a little bit this morning around three simple points. Here's what I want to talk with you about this morning. First, I want us to talk about this one thing that we need. And then second, I want us to talk about why we need it. And then third, I want us to talk about how we can get it. It's very, very simple. The one thing we need, why we need it, and how we can get it. So first let's talk about the one thing we need is to come before the beautiful face of God. The one thing we need Is to bask in the beams of His glory, His goodness, His beauty, His love. David wrote in verse 4, the one thing he's seeking was to dwell in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord. He's talking about the temple. And we're going to get to that in a few minutes. But what is it that he wants from the temple? He tells us he wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That is, he wants to just stare intently. He wants to be captivated. He wants to be mesmerized with a vision of God's ultimate beauty. He's talking about, when he's talking about this, he's he's saying, I want to see the beauty, which is the fountainhead and the spring of all other beauty in the world. He's talking about the ultimate beatific vision. And listen, I get it. At this point right now, this feels a little bit philosophical. And abstract to talk about ultimate beauty and things like that. But but verse 8 here puts things in far more concrete terms for us. Because verse 8 says, You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Verse 9 Hide not your face from me. Here's what he's saying ultimate beauty is found in seeing God's face. And here's why that's more concrete. To be face-to-face with someone, right? That is to be in real, personal, experiential, intimate relationship with someone. He's not saying that he wants to know more about God. I mean, surely that's involved. But this is so much more than that. He's saying, I want to know him personally. I want to know him intimately. He's saying, I want to be, I want to be known by God and I want to experience his very real presence. I want a relationship with the one who is ultimate beauty himself. And listen, to crave that is to be human. And to get it is to come all the way home. You were built for the face of God. And nothing else will ever really satisfy you. Not too long ago, I I heard a story about a little boy who was about six or seven years old. um, And his mother suddenly passed away. And so it was just him and his father. And um, this boy's dad said for weeks he would put his child to bed, in his child's bed. He would tuck him in. They would pray together, and then he'd leave and the father would go into his bed and then we'd go to sleep. And he said, for weeks on end, um, every night without fail, his son would get into bed with him in the middle of the night and, and wake him up. And the dad would wake up in the night, in the middle of the night because um, every night this little boy crawled into bed, he would get into bed and then he would reach out his little hands and he would put them on the sides of his his dad's face, and he would turn his dad's face so that he could just stare right into his face. And he would say to his dad every night, I just need your face. I just need your face. Right? I mean, he was saying, I need to see you. And I need to be seen by you. Right? I need to know you and be known by you. I need your face. I need to know that you love me. I need to know that you'll never leave me. I mean, there's nothing abstract about that. I mean, we all get that. That's deeply human, that's relational. David sang in the psalm the one thing I desperately need is God's face, right? That's what I was built for, and nothing else will ever do. I'm homesick without his face. I mean, in about the fourth or fifth grade my dad uh, took me uh, we were living in montgomery alabama at the time and he took me to get an autograph from my boyhood hero mickey mantle and um one of the greatest baseball players ever um he he was actually more my dad's hero and so he's kind of legend status for me um so for some reason we're going to get this autograph, and we get to this place late. And, um, but it was just an, we were there just enough time to see Mickey Mantle leaving, surrounded by his bodyguards. And so my dad ran up to one of the bodyguards and tapped him on the shoulder and asked if Mickey could just give one more autograph. Um, and the answer was a very firm no, that Mickey had somewhere to be, and he was done with the autographs for the day. And so all we saw was Mickey's back walking away from us, right? And then something happened. Um, Being the mature 10 or 11-year-old that I was, um, and utterly heartbroken, I know this is going to surprise some of you, um, but I burst into tears (laughs) in the Sears or wherever we were, you know. Um, Which, by the way, did somebody put these up here for me? Because I'm... I don't know where, I don't think those have been here the whole time I've been here. Um, Anyway, so I started crying in the middle of the store, and Mickey Mantle heard it. And so he turned around, and he left his bodyguards and told them to wait on him. And he came up to me, and he got down on his knee, and we were face to face, right? And he asked me about my baseball team, and what position I played, and he signed my glove and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we had this face-to-face conversation, right? And, you know, what I remember from that experience, I don't even know if I still have the glove. It might be in my parents' attic. I don't know. But I didn't really care about that because I had this face-to-face. For a moment, I knew Mickey, and Mickey knew me, right? Right? As great as that moment was, him getting down on my level and coming to my face, it's just a shadow. It's just a hint of what we were made for because we were made for the ultimate. We were made to come face to face with ultimate beauty, with God himself. That is the one thing we need. We need his face. Okay, second, let's talk about why God's face is the one thing we need. One of my all-time favorite parts of C.S. Lewis' children's book, The Chronicles of Narnia, comes in the, uh, at, at the very end of the last book. And I'm not going to give you a big thing here, but the characters are they're coming into paradise at the end of these stories. And um, they're, they're coming into the new heavens and the new earth. And, and the awareness of it starts to dawn on the creatures. And on one creature in particular, and this is what Lewis has this character say, he says this, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. So here's my question. How self-aware are we really? How self-aware are you really? I mean, are you aware of the searching and the seeking that lies beneath the searching and the seeking of your life? Do you know the home, the land you've been looking for all your life? I think you'll see this pretty clearly. um, Because once once you realize God's beautiful face is the one thing that David is seeking and needing, the rest of the psalm makes sense. I mean, just take a glance at what's going on in David's life. I'm going to run through it pretty quickly here. People are attacking him. Enemies are surrounding him. Armies are encroaching War is breaking out. That's verses 2 and 3. Trouble is all around. He's being slandered and attacked. He's being stabbed in the back. That's verses 5 and 6 and verse 12. He's being utterly abandoned by those closest to him. Verse 10. My mother and my father have forsaken me. I mean, these are the circumstances of David's life, right? Physical danger, emotional trouble, anxiety-producing threats, relational trauma. I mean, there seems to be a lot of circumstances in David's life that really need fixing. But David, in this prayer, wasn't asking God to fix any of those things. Right? He wasn't praying, God, get me out of this trouble Fix this or fix that, and then I'll be happy. And here's what he was saying. He was saying, God, give me your face. Come to me and show me your beauty and your love. Let me bask in the sunshine of your face and f- in your love and in your favor. Because if I get your face, then I can face anything this broken world has to offer me. I mean, that's what he's saying. He's saying. Right, David is saying, if I get your face, I can face all of these other things. I can lift my head high. Verse 6, my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. If I can have God's face, I can hold my head high no matter what happens to me. Why do we need God's face? Because if we get it, we're free. We're free. If you get the one thing you were made for, life can hurt And threaten you, but you can hold your head up high and not be crushed by it. If you get his face, you become free of the fear and the anxiety and the bitterness and the resentment that is so often driving you in your life. It's not even three months, and I'm already going to repeat an illustration, but it's just because this story fits so well here. Um, When my daughter Kennedy was three years old. Um, we were living in Starkville, Mississippi, and I was doing campus ministry with Reformed University Fellowship. And um, in- anyway, we had, this, we had these friends in town that had this house on a lake, and we went there one afternoon, and we were fishing off of the little pier that came out from their house. And um, And while we were baiting our hooks, for just a moment, we turned our backs on Kennedy, and she had taken one step backward and fallen off the pier and into the water. And I heard the splash and turned around in enough time to see just, you know, her big eyes and she's going under kind of thing. Um, And so what did I do? I didn't have anything to think about, right? I just reacted. I jumped right in after her. Um, I was a little bit quicker back then too. So, um, but anyway, um, the whole thing took maybe five seconds. Grabbed her out of the water, put her back on the dock, um, and, and all that kind of stuff. And she was safe, um, but wet. And here's the deal. One week later, we're going back to our friend's lake house. And um, as we're buckling her into her car seat, we tell her where we're going. We're going back to the place where you fell into the water. which felt right to warn her. Um, and she looked up at my wife, Jennifer, and she said... Mama, we should bring some more clothes just in case I fall in the lake again. And um, it was a beautiful moment because there was no fear in her voice. There was no concern. There was no evidence of like post traumatic stress disorder in her life. She wasn't scarred. All she wanted was just to know we had some extra clothes in case this, she fell in the lake again. And here's why she knew I would be there. Right? She had real confidence if anything happened, her daddy would be right there for her and he would come into that water after her without a second thought. And so for her, it was just like, it'd be nice to have some dry clothes. Right? What if you get the one thing you need God's face? Do you see how that would settle your fearful, anxious heart? Verse 3. Though an army encamp against me, My heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. I mean, this is David, right? Not many of us have war, have, you know, a war breaking out over us or enemies surrounding us. I mean, but what do you have going on in your life that makes you afraid? You can have what David had if you get God's face. Why do you need God's face? Let, Let me ask it like this. Why are we so often afraid, anxious, bitter, and resentful? We are working and we are trying so hard to survive, to survive life in a threatening, dangerous, and broken world. And so what do we do? We go and we get married. And we get married in the hopes that someone will give us the love and acceptance we need to survive. Or we diet and we exercise like crazy so we can be thinner or prettier so we can look in the mirror and we can be confident in what we see. And we build beautiful homes, right? That we hope are going to refresh and replenish us and keep us secure and safe. And we strive for success and achievement in our careers and in padding our bank accounts. And we're trying to create all these safe places in a harsh, broken world. We seek transcendent but momentary beauty in art and music, just to lift us above life for a moment into meaning. So why do we need God's face? Because His beautiful face is what you've been looking for all your lives though you never knew it till now. In every loving face, you've been chasing His loving face. In every accepting embrace, You've been looking for the embrace of his arms. In every diet, in every achievement, in every bit of working so hard, you're trying to get home to him. To that place where you can finally let down your guard and rest. We need to come face to face with God with ultimate beauty. Saint Saint Augustine wrote, Almighty God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless. Until they rest in you. Why do we need God's face? Because we'll be restless. Until we come before His face. Because that's the thing we've been chasing. Beneath all of our chasing. Alright, third. Let's talk about how to get the face of God. How can we get this one thing we need? Because really, that's the driving point of the whole Bible. um, And definitely the Old Testament. Who can stand before the face of God? That's the question. Right, when Adam and Eve... What what did Adam and Eve do after they sinned against God in the Garden of Eden? They ran and hid. Because for them, after they fell into sin, God's face wasn't a source of delight to them, but a source of terror because they had broken the relationship. In Exodus 33, Moses begged to see God's face. What did God say? God said, I'll let you see my back, but my face... Would destroy you. Isaiah came before God's face in Isaiah 6, and, this was, and it terrified him. I mean, this is a paraphrase, but he basically said, Woe is me, I'm as good as dead. Why? Because my eyes have seen the King, the, the Lord of hosts. On the best day of fishing Jesus' disciple Peter ever had in his life, it dawned on him that the man in the boat, Jesus, Was God in the flesh. And that he was before God's face. So you know what Peter said. He didn't say oh yay. He said depart from me. Get away from me Jesus. For I'm a sinful man. So kind of trying to set this up for you a little bit. Do you see the problem? What you desperately need is God's face. Without his face you'll spend your life chasing But never finding. And you'll be crushed by life's hardness. But to come before God's face, ultimate beauty, His holiness, His purity, as a sinful man or woman, that is not pleasant. That is terrifying. So how can we get the face of God? David said in verse 4, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to dwell in the temple all the days of my life. You know what David's doing He's actually asking for something that's not allowed to him. David was a king, not a priest, and only the priests could go into the temple. But you know, even priests weren't allowed to approach the presence the face of God regularly right in the temple there were a couple of courts and the innermost court was called what the holy of holies because that's where the ark was and that's where God's presence was and that's where his face was and only one priest the high priest could enter the holy of holies and he could only do it once a year on the day of atonement and when he went in he could not go in empty-handed He had to go in carrying a basin of blood into the Holy of Holies. Why was blood necessary? It was the blood of sacrifice. Listen, I know you read through the Old Testament. The temple was beautiful. But read through the Old Testament, really. It was also a slaughterhouse. And there was lots of death and blood at that place. What were God's people learning through that system, that sacrificial system? They were learning the one and only way you can come before God's face is with blood. A holy, pure God, he has to punish sin. That's what the priest was doing with the basin of blood. He was saying the only way I can come before God's face is because this substitute died in my place. The Gospel writers tell us something very significant happened when Jesus died. You know what that was? It tells us when He breathed His last breath, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It was that curtain was the curtain that sealed everyone off from the Holy of Holies, the innermost court. And you know what that means? It means now anyone can come into the Holy of Holies. Now anyone can come before the face of God. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or where you've been. Now we can all approach the face we were made for. We can come all the way in without fear because we come through the blood. We come through the blood of Jesus, the Lamb who was slain for us. As Hebrews says, Jesus is our great High Priest. He's the ultimate High Priest. Because of His sacrifice... He can bring us all the way in before God's face. Do you know why, you might have to think about this a little bit, but do you know why all your favorite stories, why all the best stories always involve sacrificial love? Listen, my kids are now at the age where they're starting to read some of the Harry Potter books. Um, If you're against the Harry Potter books. I'm fine with that. Just don't talk to me about it. But anyway, there's, there's this great place. There's this great place in one of, uh, one of those books where Dumbledore, the big wizard guy, is explaining to Harry how he got that lightning bolt scar in the middle of his forehead. And how it was that when the evil wizard Voldemort was trying to kill Harry as a little ba- baby, that it only left that little scar and didn't take his life. And here's what he said to Harry. He said, I knew that Voldemort's knowledge of magic is perhaps more extensive than any wizard alive. I knew that even my most complex and powerful protective spells and charms were unlikely to be invincible if he ever returned to full power. But I knew too where Voldemort was weak. And so I made my decision. You would be protected by an ancient magic of which he knows. Which he despises and which he always, therefore, underestimated to his cost. I am speaking, of course, of the fact that your mother died to save you. She gave you a lingering protection he never expected, a protection that flows in your veins to this day. I put my trust, therefore, in your mother's blood. That's beautiful. Dying to save, trusting in blood, that sounds gospel like, or whatever. Um, Of course it does, because in, in every bit of beauty, we're chasing the beauty of God. In every story of real and true love, we're chasing the ultimate story of true love, right? In every story... Of the transforming power of love. We're chasing the power of God's transforming love. How can we get the face of God? We come to Jesus. Because He's the one who came to us. He's the one who came and got down on our level. He's the one who came to meet us face to face. He's the one who died the death we should have died. He's the one who lived the life we should have lived. And all of that, He's done to bring us before His Father's face. So that we could bask in the sunshine of his face and not just know about his love, but know his love and know his favor and feel his goodness upon us. Listen, real quick, let me give you, These are going to go very fast, four little pieces of application to work out from this. First is this. You need to pay attention to your feelings of homesickness. Whenever you feel that feeling creeping in, I've got to make more money, I've got to achieve more, Um, then I'll get home, whatever that is. At that point, you need to pause and you need to realize that God, in the midst of that, he is summoning you home. Right. You will never find home in those things, but only in his face. See, our dissatisfactions and our disappointments in this life, they are his mercy and grace calling us to come face to face with him in Jesus. Second, you need to discipline yourself to look upon God's beauty. Seek his beauty. So David was, I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to seek it. Open your Bible and study, study it to see God's beauty. Pray like David and beg for God to show you his face. That needs to be a part of your regular habit and your discipline in your life. Third, put yourself into a community. I mean, the temple is the place where all God's people gather, right? You cannot find the face of God by yourself in isolation from others. You need others. God reveals his face to you through his people. And listen, when I I say community, I'm not talking about what we're doing this morning. What we're doing this morning is wonderful, it's needed, it's great. But it's very hard to do life-on-life stuff with people with a group this size. You need to be in smaller groups where people know you and, and you know others. And you can point each other to Jesus, so you need others. You need to put yourself in community. Fourth and last, you really need to learn how to wait. Psalm 27, verse 14, the last verse of the Psalm, David says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Who's David talking to? I mean, he's talking to himself in the Psalm. Listen, as you pay attention to your feelings of homesickness, and as you put yourself into community, and as you take up the disciplines of being in God's Word regularly and being in prayer, David is saying, you've got to wait. Stay put and wait for God to reveal himself. Because he knows this about God. He is a God who loves to make himself known. He's a God who loves to turn his face towards the broken and those in need of mercy and grace. So wait upon him. Wait upon the Lord. Let's pray together.